when you're going out and you're putting your underwriting or your business plan together, you're looking at the market to base your assumptions off of, right? It's almost like a science project. You have a hypothesis to start and then you've got to kind of prove it out and then you get a conclusion at the end. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. I'm Annie Dickerson. And on behalf of my fabulous co-host, Julie Lamb, I'm excited to welcome you back to our summer series. And we are talking today to none other than Riley Metcalf, our Director of Acquisitions here at Good Egg Investments. Riley, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm so great. Thanks so much for having me. It'll be fun to come on here and talk with you guys, which I don't do enough of already. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. When we first met, you were like this. I mean, you still are this spreadsheet guru. You can get in there with all these models and data and numbers. And sure, the listeners have heard me tell stories of where when I'm in a spreadsheet, I make all sorts of mistakes here and there. I'm like, where did that number come from? Or what does this formula mean? (laughs) So I am not the best person to be doing Mm -hmm. any sort of under writing our analysis, which is why we have folks like you who are always looking on behalf of our investors at every investment from every different angle. So before Mm -hmm. we talk about that, though, take us a little bit into your background. You have a fascinating background. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this whole world of real estate and underwriting and investments in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in Southern California in a little beach town called San Clemente. Some people know about it. It's famous for its surfing. There's a lot of little kid surfers who come out of here, (laughs) which is funny, which I was one of them. My dad was always a stockbroker. And just from an early age, he was always teaching me about investments and how to make the best use of your money and how to save for retirement and the benefits of going to college and saving for that. And I think just always just being prepared for the future with whatever that comes. I mean, even if you're not the world's greatest investment genius, just being a little bit financially literate can take you a really, really, really long way. So just knowing like basic concepts and stuff, he'd teach me from a young age. And I always thought that was super cool. So he was always trying to get me to be a stockbroker with him. But for some reason, I always thought that real estate investments were a really cool idea because you can get in, you're not investing in some huge multinational corporation. You can buy a couple of apartment units and you can be your own boss. You can really be a business person in your own right. And you get to make all the decisions. You're the landlord. It's your deal. And I always thought that was really cool and something that you could kind of build. And I would call myself a patient person. That's why real estate always kind of attracted me because the more that I've learned about real estate, the true value comes in holding a deal for 10, 20 years. And I know that a lot of people don't have the time to do that. But some people that I've worked with in the past, they've held buildings for 20, 30 years and they've returned capital three or four times off of those single properties. It's like they don't even have a single cent of like real true equity left in the deal. It's all almost free money at this point. And I thought that was just super, super interesting. So I went to school for business in the Northwest and University of Oregon, which was great. Met a ton of lifelong friends who I still have great relationships with today. And Is it Ducks? Yeah, the University Ducks. of Oregon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Ducks. It's funny. My dad went to Oregon State, which is the rival college. So <laughs> he, uh, he's a good sport. He loves it. It's always fun when the football season comes around. We have a good time. So I moved out to New York and I just kind of wanted to jump into real estate. So I got an internship with a private equity company out there and really just started grinding. Like you were saying about the spreadsheets and everything like that. When I first got into it, it was really overwhelming, I'd say. It took day in, day out, day in, day out practice. I think especially a lot of people in real estate think they can just kind of pick it up 
quickly. And it's really tough because you can have a model that you can use, you might be comfortable with, but if some slight change happens in the underwriting, that's really where you need to know is be able to edit the model and change the assumptions. And if you're stuck with a model that you know how to use, but you don't know how to change it, then it's you're kind of handicapped there. So tell people exactly, like, I remember when I first got into real estate investing, I didn't even really understand what underwriting entailed. I was like, Mm -hmm. what do you mean there's these models? What does that look like? So tell people a little bit about what is a model? What are some of the data points Mm -hmm. you're looking at? What are you trying to get to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So underwriting really is just a fancy word for a business plan, right? That's what it is at the end of the day. You need to, and to write a business plan, you need to know what the asset is worth. So the underwriting process is figuring out what is this building's worth and what is its highest and best use. And thirdly, how much money do I have to send to take it from its in-place value to its highest and best use? Those three aspects and how you get there. And the underwriting model will take thousands of inputs on one underwriting model that kind of spit you out a return. Or the best way to look at it is on an IRR basis. A lot of people don't like that because they can't wrap their head around the time value of money, but it takes into account the time value of money. And so, I mean, you've got to go through operating assumptions. So you got to sit down with a property manager and go over, okay, what's our payroll going to be? What kind of admin bank charges, legal accounting expenses are we going to have? What are the utility bills going to be? What are the real estate tax bills? In some states, real estate reassessments are on three-year cycles. Some of them are on five-year cycles. Some of them reassess right when you buy the property. Some of them don't reassess at all, and they'll just have a spot reassessment whenever the city feels like it. So the real estate underwriting is a big part of the deals and getting that really tuned in because if you make a mistake there, it could be deadly. Another big part of uh, real estate, obviously, is the financing aspect. What kind of loan are you going to get? What kind of interest rate? How many years of interest only are you going to get? And then the next part is probably, like I was saying, taking figuring out the current value and then what's it going to take to the highest and best value where you're creating value on the asset. So if you're renovating units, how much is that going to cost? If you're upgrading pools, if you're upgrading landscaping, if there's any sort of deferred maintenance, like our roof's broken, our window's broken, do appliances need to be replaced, stuff like that. So coming up a budget up front, coming up with your operating expenses going forward, and then your financing assumptions up front to kind of calculate your percentage return. Once you start getting in the flow of looking at deals, you start comparing the deals against each other and say, okay, this one's a little bit riskier and the returns are lower, probably going to pass on that one. Or this one, the returns are high and the risks are high, but we feel that the returns justify the risk. So that's always a big part of what we're doing. Once you get past the underwriting for a deal, you're comparing it to the other deals you have in the marketplace and picking the best risk adjusted return, I would Mm -hmm. say. So If it's a class A deal where you don't have to do anything, you just kind of get in and there's a loss to lease play and the market's really strong and you think the asset is going to kind of outperform what was happening during lease up and you don't have to put a dime into construction or do anything, but your returns might be a little bit lower. That might be really attractive to a lot of people. So it's just kind of about what individual investors are looking for. Are they looking for more stability or are they looking to take a little bit more risk and get a little bit more reward? Mm Mm-hmm. So could two people underwrite the same deal completely differently? Yeah, totally. It's 100%. I mean, for instance, you could take an old retail property and some retail person might come in and say, hey, I'm going to just fix up the spaces and release it. 
Or you could have a developer come in and say, hey, I'm going to tear down the whole building and build a five-story apartment complex on top of the land. The returns for the apartment complex would obviously be much higher because there's more risk. And the person who's just buying the retail space to rent it back out is taking less risk and will have less reward. So yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely two different groups could look at things a million different ways, especially with land too, because it's such a blank canvas for people. We'll get back to our conversation with Riley in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now back to our chat with Riley Metcalf. Right. And then even like for two groups that let's say have sort of a similar business plan, even Mm -hmm. their underwriting could be different because of the assumptions. You mentioned assumptions. So talk to us a little bit about that, right? Because first, I assume that when you first are underwriting a deal sort of at a high level, you're trying to just get a sense quickly, Mm -hmm. sort of back of the napkin, Mm -hmm. trying to understand, is this worth digging further into, Mm -hmm. right? And then once you get to that point, it passes that first gauntlet, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, so this is looking pretty good. It's passing our mark for all of these criteria that we're looking at. Let's dig further into this. And then how do you then take those assumptions and make sure that they're as close as possible to actuals for when we actually try to turn the business plan into reality? Yeah, definitely. So everything's very data-driven, right? So when you're going out and you're doing putting your underwriting or your business plan together, you're looking at the market to base your assumptions off of, right? It's almost like a science project. You have a hypothesis to start and then you've got to kind of prove it out and then you get a conclusion at the end. So if you have an older 70s vintage product in a good neighborhood and there's three or four deals within a five-mile radius who have done renovations recently, those are the communities that you're going to be basing your performer rents off of. So if they are within the same age range and they have the same sort of amenities and then they're in the same location, 
and they're $400 rent higher than you because they've gone in and they've spent $10,000 on a unit, that's where we're going to put our rent. You can't just make up where you think the rent's going to be, where you're going to push the rent. So that's really where you're driving the income side. And the same for a commercial property. If you have a few long-term leases on a commercial property and you go out to the market, you go out to brokers, you talk to people within the industry and you figure out, hey, these leases today at this property are 30 cents below where they should be. In five years, we can renew these leases and get a 20%, 30% pop on the rents. That could be huge for our performa. And that makes a lot of sense as an investor. We just got to wait four or five years and The risk part is that in four or five years, the market goes down. But today, it makes it look like a good deal. So when you were talking about comparing to how other other investors might be looking at a potentiated deal, even if they're looking at the same way as value-add owners, operators, there's definitely differences in how they can underwrite the deal. A lot of groups, bigger, more institutional groups, will have a more bloated payroll than a lot of people. They have corporate guidelines as to how the properties have to be staffed how much insurance has to be on the properties, minimum upkeep amounts. And whereas somebody who's a little bit smaller, a little bit more nimble can maybe shave off some of those operating expenses. Or maybe the brokers are pitching a deal where they maybe got a little bit lazy. I see that all the time and they don't pick out the best comps and you do your homework a little bit better than them. And you can put your performer rents $100 higher than they are and what they're telling all the other potential buyers out there. And then that's how you can win deals too, because you can project higher rents. That's data driven, proven out by the market. And then the last part is the operating expenses. So it's super, super important to have a great property manager who knows what they're doing. I'm sure there's people out there who have had bad experiences with property managers. And on my end, on the acquisition side, I can buy a great deal. But at the end of the day, if the property manager doesn't come through and they're not successful, then all my work on the front end is basically worthless because the property is not going to be performing well. So yeah, getting together with them, staying on top of them and putting together good, solid operating numbers up front that are proven out. And like you said, to the data aspect, you're looking at, hey, like, hey, send me, send me some a budget based on financials of like a few of the properties you have located nearby. So you're getting real numbers, real operating expenses, and stuff that you can really base solid underwriting performer numbers on. Yeah. Well, all of this is so, so critical and it makes such a big difference between a good investment and a not so great investment. Mm-hmm. For all the listeners, even if you're not able to understand every single thing that Riley is talking about, that's okay. The takeaway message here should be anybody take a deal and make it look any way they want on a spreadsheet and they can choose any of the assumptions and you don't know unless you have that trust with that operator with that team that they are actually underwriting conservatively they've got the data to back up each Mm -hmm. of the numbers in that spreadsheet in that model Mm -hmm. because anybody can make a spreadsheet look great but then once the deal closes you've actually got to take that and turn it into the actual the business plan and the actual returns for the investors. So I want to make sure that the listeners take that piece away more than anything else is just to vet that and ask the right questions. But for now, Riley, thank you so much for diving into all of Mm -hmm. that. We're going to now move on to the final part of our show, the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round. We're going to ask you three questions. We ask everyone, you ready? I'm super ready. All right. So the first question is to share with us one thing that you're doing to live a meaningful and intentional life by design. Yes. Well, first and foremost, try to spend as much time and energy with my family as I can. So I live in New York. 
but I try to make it out to California, come home and hang out with my mom, my dad, my brother, and my little nephew as much as I can. And then the rest of the time I'm out with my girlfriend in New York. So that probably makes me the happiest and gives me the most joy in life is just spending time with them. Love it. Love it. And you hit the waves as often as you can as well. Oh, yeah. Well, it helps that the waves are good here. So yes, yes, (laughs) indeed, indeed. All right. Second question. Share with us a life or money hack that has really helped you on your journey that you think will help others as well. Yeah, definitely. So I think if you can just try to buy, start buying real estate as young as pos- as humanly possible as you can. So I know there's a ton of programs out there, FHA loans and stuff like that, where if you don't have a lot of money, it is possible to do it. And like I said earlier, the real beauty of real estate is the longer you hold it. So with inflation, it's a great deflationary asset. And just learning more about it the younger and getting in, just dipping your toe in, buying something super small, super affordable that you can kind of go in and fix up yourself and add a lot of value to. And maybe it not, might not be in the greatest neighborhood, but you can go in and you can make it nice and then rent it back out and use that additional income to live somewhere else. So I would say get into real estate as early as possible. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good tip. And I'm so glad you brought up the FHA loans. That's how My husband and I bought our first property when we were 23 Mm -hmm. and we put down about 15,000, got an FHA loan and I think it was a $500,000 property. Mm -hmm. And years later, we sold it for I think eight or Mm 900,000. So that's a pretty good return on $15,000. That's a really, really (laughs) good return. (laughs) Sometimes real estate is like magic. It's like, where- I know. This money. (laughs) Oh, I know. It's amazing, right? Yeah, it is. All right. Last question, Riley, what's one thing that you're doing to help make the world a better place? So I would say in all of my personal relationships and also my business relationships, just trying to make everybody else's life around me as good as possible. I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a people pleaser. So the better I can do to help everybody's life around me makes me feel happier at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I can say you are certainly that on the Good Egg team and for all of our investors to know that you are on the team and you've got everybody's best interests at heart makes such a big difference. So Riley, last thing is if people listen to this show and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to learn more. I want to invest with Good Egg. Tell them what's the best place that they can go. Yeah, definitely. Just go on to goodegginvestments.com and reach out to us and somebody on the team. I'm totally happy to talk to people if they have any further questions. So yeah, reach out at goodegginvestments.com and we'll take it from there. Riley Metcalf, Director of Acquisitions at Good Egg Investments. Riley, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners today. No problem. Thanks so much. It was fun. See ya. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 